I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective and today we're looking at chapters 19, 20 and 21 of Allegiant. So where we left off, Triss was admiring that sculpture with the water tank suspended above a slab of stone with a little drip and it was a whole big metaphor. And then her and Four signed up for some genetic testing just as a side hustle or something, just on the side, a little bit of genetic testing, why not? And we found out that four is not a GP, meaning he's genetically damaged, he's not divergent after all. And so we pick up chapter 19 in Triss's perspective, and she's saying how she didn't go after four because she didn't know what to say. So she said, I'm not gonna be a supportive girlfriend because it's too hard. (laughs) She put it in the too hard basket to comfort her boyfriend about him not being genetically pure. She said. Not my circus, not my monkeys. So Triss is really minimizing Four's emotions and experience right now. She's saying like, oh, it doesn't mean anything if you're divergent or not, it means nothing. And it's like, well, no, it it does mean something. They've set up a whole experiment with locked off cities just to create divergent people. So yeah, it is kind of important. But she says, I realize that divergent doesn't mean as much as I thought it did. It's just a word for a particular sequence in my DNA like a word for all people with brown eyes or blonde hair. Yes, yes, but that word has importance. And she's like, oh brother, these people, they still think it means something. They think it means I'm healed in a way that Tobias is not. And they want me to just trust that, believe that. She's like, well, I don't. So she's coming at it from the perspective where she's like, no, for you and I are the same. When, you know, wake up to yourselves. That's not what this world's all about, Tris wake up and smell the genetic damage. It still matters, apparently. They're doing decades long experiments to get divergent people. Yeah, I I think it matters to them. And that's something I've been thinking about. What are the people at the Bureau going to do with like Uriah and Christina and Peter? People who aren't divergent. I mean, some of those characters might be divergent. I've forgotten who's divergent and who's not, but I'm pretty sure someone like Christina isn't divergent and she's come over this side of the fence they're not going to want to put her up forever, are they? Maybe she can join the, the green coloured uniformed people who were just the maintenance staff. I don't know. The more I read this book, the more I'm understanding eh, it's not very well thought out. So then Nita comes back. Remember Nita, she ran out to see Four and said, hey, Four, we've got a secret meeting tonight. Come over. And so Nita comes back in and Triss is looking at her being like, huh, what did this young female lady say to my boyfriend when I wasn't around? 
She's looking at her and she thinks, Nita is tall, but not too tall. She's thin, but not too thin. Like, what is she, fucking Goldilocks? She's like, yeah, she's pretty. And she's like, what did you say, Nita? And Nita's just like, I gave him directions. And she's like, huh. And she just leaves. She says, well, I don't want to talk to this pretty girl who was talking to my boyfriend. So she's all jealous. And so she leaves. She spots Zoe. And Zoe says, oh, hey, I just told the others, but we've scheduled a plane ride in two hours for those who want to go. Are you up for it? With everything going on in the world, they're like, let's go for a joy ride. And so she's like, hell yeah, I've always wanted to go on a plane since I found out what planes are this morning. Remember, she just walked past a plane and she was like, oh, what's that bird looking car? And now she's like, yes, life's ambition. Let's go on a plane. A plane to where? I'm a bit shocked that they're actually doing this. It seems a bit risky to go on fly joy rides around Chicago. They're acting like this place is so far away, but it's Chicago airport. It's not that far away. So Zoe's like, yep, meet us at gate B14 later. Just follow the numbers, you'll find B14. So she's got to go to a gate. So we cut to a bit later on, she's at the gate. She's talking to Uriah. Uriah's like, how can something that big stay in the sky? And she's like, oh, they're nice. They don't know any physics. And she's looking around to see if Tobias is also there and he's not. And she's like, I haven't seen him since the genetic test. Well, like, has anyone told Tobias that this is happening, that this joyride's happening? Like, uh, I don't know why he's expected to just automatically be there. And okay, I don't know how many people haven't been on a plane. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of people in the world who have never been on a plane. But if you're one of those people, just go pick up Allegiant, flick to chapter 19, because... Veronica Roth is going to give you a whole big breakdown on how planes work. Well, not how planes work, but how they look, how they feel, the experience of being on a plane, which is just thrilling reading. So she gets on and she's like, oh, there's rows of seats. And she says the seats are covered in ripped fraying blue fabric. And so she takes a window seat and she says a metal bar pushes against my spine. It feels like a chair skeleton with barely any flesh to support it. This is when I would get off the plane. I'd say, "Mm, I think this is a really ancient plane. I'm sitting in a chair skeleton. I don't have high hopes for the upkeep and maintenance of this plane. Let me off. And then she says, Peter and Caleb get on the plane and they move to the back. And she says, they sit near each other next to the window, near each other. So not next to each other, but near each other. And she's like, wow, that's weird. I didn't know they were friends. She says, it seems fitting given how despicable they both are. Like, yet they might not be friends, but they each only know like five other people. I don't think it's that crazy for them to sit near each other, not even next to each other, just near each other. And so Tris says to Zoe, how old's this thing? And she goes, yeah, it's pretty old, but we've completely redone the important stuff. Yeah, that's not enough assurances for me, babe. Let me out. And Tris says, what do you use it for? And she says, we use it for surveillance missions, mostly for the fringe. She says, the fringe is a large sort of chaotic place between Chicago and the nearest government regulated metropolitan area, Milwaukee, which is about a three hour drive from here. I am getting more and more interested in what this fringe is. I do think we need an excursion to the fringe sometime soon to keep this book fresh because right now they're going on a fucking plane and it's not that interesting. Meanwhile, she just got given an iPad filled with her mother's journals. And she was like, oh my God, I can't wait to read it. I'll just put that down. I'll go to gate B14. I'll board a plane. I'd be, I'd be reading my mother's journals. It's just taking me back to that horrible Christmas movie, The Noel Diaries. Did you guys watch that? Oh, it's horrible. It's got that guy from This Is Us in it. And anyway, he's like an author. 
and he's on like a road trip at Christmas with some girl and she's trying to find out who her long lost mother is or something. And she finds her long lost mother's diary and reading that diary would give her confirmation on who her mother is. And she doesn't read it, but instead they stay a night like at a B and B and she reads this other guy's novel that he's written. She sneaks to a bookshop, buys his novel and she stays up all night reading this douchebag's novel and not reading her mum's diary. And then like two days later at the end of the movie, she finishes reading the journal and she's like, oh yeah, it turns out it was my mum. And it's like, uh, uh, you had time to read a whole fucking book length novel, but you couldn't read your mum's journals. It was so stupid. Never watched that movie. It was the worst movie I've ever seen. And now I'm thinking the same thing. Like Tris, sit down and read the fucking journal. What are you doing? And Tris was asking some questions of Zoe and I was like, good, we're getting somewhere. But then she's like, I was about to ask what was happening in the fringe, but then I couldn't be bothered. (laughs) She says, Christina and Uriah sat down next to me and the moment was lost. Okay, I guess we'll never find out what's happening in the fringe then, Tris. So then Tris says to Christina and Uriah, you guys seem to bias. And they're like, nah. Then some lady called Karen, she's the captain. She says, I'm the captain, I'm called Karen. I'm gonna go fly the plane. And they're like, okay, (laughs) thanks. And then Zoe, I guess she's left to be the flight attendant. She says, buckle your seatbelts. Don't stand up until we've reached our cruising altitude. And Tris is annoyed because she doesn't know what cruising altitude is. And she's like, typical Zoe doesn't explain what cruising altitude is. Then the plane starts to move. She gives us a whole breakdown on how it feels to be on a plane. The plane lifts up. She can feel it lifting. Everything's getting smaller when she's looking out the window. She forgets to breathe because she's so blown away by it. I don't care. I feel like I was sold on this being like an exciting final entry into this trilogy. But no, we're reading about how she's going on a plane. And I think Triss is a flat earther as well because going higher up in the sky, she's like, wait a minute, I can't see the end of the earth. She says, I don't know what I expected to see the place where the world ends like a giant cliff hanging in the sky. Uh, Is anyone going to tell her that the earth isn't flat? I don't know. I didn't expect to be having that debate as well. I guess I'm the dum-dum for thinking that them going outside of the fence would lead us to an interesting place, but no. So far, so boring. So then Zoe says, we can't fly too high or too close to the city because we don't want to draw attention. So we'll observe from a great distance. A great fucking distance. It's not that far away. So looking out the window, she sees some destroyed like buildings, like a whole destroyed suburb. Apparently that's from back in the Purity War when there was lots of bombs and things. And then Zoe says, all right, now you'll be able to see a brief look at Chicago. You'll see that some of the lake was drained so that we could build the fence, but we left as much of it intact as possible. I wasn't aware that 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 was a man-made drain. Here I was thinking there was some sort of global warming calamity, but no, they drained the lake. Well, they drained part of the lake in order to erect the fence. Why they needed to fence off the bit of lake, I'm not too sure. It seems kind of drastic to drain a whole fucking lake in order to put a fence around a city when a fifth of the population is just gonna live outside of the fence anyway. The Amity compound's on the other side of the fence, so why bother? Maybe pick a different city to wrap a whole fence around, one that's not got a lake. Maybe build around the lake they just thought the easiest thing to do would be to drain half of the lake. And then, and then the other half of the lake is still a lake. The more I read, the more questions I have. So then she can see a bit of the hub and she's like, oh wow, that's the hub. Then she can see the Hancock building and she's like, oh wow, I ziplined from that. 
And then she says, I can see further than I've ever seen before. I can see far beyond our city's limits. It's just what I imagined. The lake in the distance glinting with streaks of light marked with the texture of waves. First, I'm hearing of there actually being a lake. I thought it was all dried up. What do I know? So then Peter says, how big is Chicago compared to the rest of the world? Because they're all flying blind. They don't know about the rest of the world. They think the earth's flat. And Zoe, she says, Chicago takes up about 227 square miles. The land area of a planet is a little less than 200 million square miles. She says the percentage is so small as to be negligible. And they're all like, huh, well, that makes us feel small. And she's like, yep. And Trissa's like, wow, millions of square miles, so much space. She says, I wonder what it's like in the places beyond ours. And she's thinking about people living in all of that space. She doesn't know about oceans. Zoe left out the whole ocean part of the globe. Triss is just imagining all of this habitable space and no one's going to fill her in. So then that evening when everyone else is at dinner, she sits on the window ledge at the dorm and she finally opens up the iPad and looks at the first journal entry. Finally, I don't know what she did between the joyride and then dinner. Don't know what she did. So then we're reading her mum's journal entry and her mum says, David keeps asking me to write down what I experienced, blah, 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 blah. We get her backstory. Basically, she grew up in a single family home in Milwaukee. I don't know what a single family home is. What, just one family lived in that house? Is that what she's trying to say? She says her dad was a teacher and her mum was in law enforcement and they're out in the fringe. So just everyday people not locked up in an experiment as far as we know. And then she says, one day they got into it in the living room and things got out of hand. He grabbed her and she shot him. So then she's burying the body in the backyard and she's like, well, I'm leaving. Trissa's mum said, I'm out of here, deuces. You just shot my dad in front of me. So then she went to the fringe of the fringe, the fringe's fringe or something. She just says, I went to the fringe, even though she just told us she lived in the fringe. (sighs) Oh God, more questions. And then one day she sees a grown man beating up one of the kids in the fringe. So she hits him over the head with a plank, just a plank that was lying around, I guess, to get him to stop. And then he died because she hit this guy over the head with a plank of wood. Well, I think it's of wood. She just says a plank. Could be a plank of anything. And that's when she was 13. So then she ran, but she got snatched by some guy in a van and she thought they might've been police, but they weren't police. And she says, he didn't take me to jail. He just took me to this secure area and tested my genes. (laughs) I feel like we're missing something there. Like, All of a sudden she's getting genetic testing done. And so I think it was David who snatched her maybe. I don't know how old David is. Anyway, she says, David says it's okay that she killed someone because she didn't mean to. And I think what this David character is saying to her is like, it's not your fault. It's because you got fucked up genes. And so then we stop reading the journal and Triss is like, wow. She's looking around and everyone's just having fun. They're eating in the cafeteria. They're drinking and they're laughing. And she says, ordinary life surrounds me. And I am alone with these revelations. Even though we know she's already made the conscious decision not to fill in Caleb about their mother's journal. She's like, I'm all alone. Like, well, bitch, call Caleb over. So she's having a little bit of a moment. She's feeling connection to her mother because her mother also existed in this space. Then Uriah and Christina come over and they're like, oh, hi, Tris, why are you crying? And she's like, nothing. Uriah says after the plane ride, they went and looked at the control room and watched a bit of what was going on on all of the screens. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And Tris is like, I wouldn't want to do that. That's too creepy and invasive. She just read about how her uh, grandfather got killed by her grandmother and then her mother when she was 13 knocked a guy out with a plank and then that guy died and then she got snatched in a van and got some genetic testing done to her. And still, the thing she's most concerned about is the surveillance. And then Christina's like, what's that iPad? And she's like, well, I'm just reading some of my mum's journals. Turns out she was from the world outside and then she came here. And then when she was 15, she was placed in Chicago as a Dauntless, which is a big info dump and also incorrect. I think she was 16 but they lied about her being 15, if I remember correctly. So that's a typo. And she's like, yep, she wrote a journal, so I'm just having a little read. Not all at once, of course. I'm taking the Noel diary approach and I'll, I'll read the rest of it later. And then Tris says, I just keep thinking that in some way I belong here. Like maybe this place can be home. What? No, you've gone from one experiment to another. Like you're, you're in a genetic testing lab, essentially. Everyone around you still segregated into coloured uniforms. Not much has changed, Tris. So then Caleb walks into the dorm and she's looking at him from across the room and he's got a stain on his shirt that looks like sauce, but he doesn't notice it because he's got this look in his eye, which she recognises as intellectual fascination. And remember, she hates erudite and intellectual fascination. So she's like, oh, what's he thinking about? He's not even noticing the stain on his shirt. And so Caleb says, uh, hi, like, why are you looking at me like this? And she just doesn't say anything. And he goes, okay, well, you think you'll ever speak to me again? And again, she doesn't say anything. She doesn't think that maybe she should fill him in on their shared heritage. She just looks away, gives him that cold shoulder. And Caleb's like, whatever. And then Uriah's like, okay, this is awkward. Let's go get some dessert. So then they walk towards the cafeteria, leaving Caleb behind. And that's the end of that chapter. 
We then go to chapter 20, which is a Tobias POV, and he's meeting up with Nita at their secret rendezvous. She's leading him to wherever they're going and she's walking in front of him and he spots a tattoo on her back. And he's like, oh, you get tattoos here. And she's like, well, some people do. The tattoo on my back is of broken glass. And he's like, cool. And then she goes, I got it because it suggests damage. It's sort of a joke. Is it? Why would you get a tattoo of damaged glass just to signify that you're genetically damaged? Do you need the tattoo reminder? I don't know. And Tobias goes, if it's a joke, it's not a funny one, even for Nita, which I don't know if I'm interpreting that correctly because is he saying like, oh, that's a bad joke, even for Nita, who's notoriously bad at jokes. Or is he saying like, oh, it's not funny for me. And it's also not funny for her because she's not laughing at the joke she just told. So she takes him to a place where just the support staff hang out. And so she says, the support staff, it's more than just a job. She says, almost all of us are GDs, genetically damaged, leftovers from the failed city experiments, or we're the descendants of other leftover people or people pulled in from the outside. And all of the scientists and leaders are GPs, genetically pure. They're descendants of people who resisted the genetic engineering movement in the first place. So yet, just as I was starting to suspect last week, there's a lot of segregation going on. Somehow they've arranged everything so that the genetically pure people just inherit all the good jobs and the genetically damaged people are stuck doing the menial tasks and the labor, which indicates to me that the status quo is not quo and the resolution to this purity war is all bogus because clearly the the genetic war is still happening except now it's taking like this class warfare shape where the genetically damaged people are in the green uniforms and the genetically pure people are in the blue uniforms and they have babies who are genetically pure and then those people get promoted. And so then Nita says, I think your girl's right, by the way. Nothing has changed with you. You just now have a better idea of your own limitations. Every human being has limitations, even GPs, which is another thing. So the genetically pure people, just means they're ordinary human beings like you or me. It means that their genes were never messed with. So they're just still shitty human beings. Human beings can be so shitty. Just because you're genetically pure doesn't mean you're not selfish. Doesn't mean you're brave. Doesn't mean you're kind. Doesn't mean you're smart. Means nothing. But Tobias, he's like, oh, so what that means is that there's an upward limit to my compassion, my conscience. That's all the reassurance you have for me. And I don't know, mate. Stop trying to make sense of it is my suggestion. But Nita's like, yeah, there's a limit. There's a limit. And he's like, why? And she's like, it's just genetics, bub. So they get to this room filled with all the GDs and they're having a little party. They're playing music. He says he recognizes the plucking of guitar strings and drums from his time in the Amity compound. No other factions have music, I don't think. So he's like, ah, music. Basically, it's the third class section of Titanic. You know, when Jack took Rose downstairs and they were having a hoot and nanny, they're all dancing and playing the violin and gambling and drinking. That's what's happening here. All the GDs, the non-upper class people, they like to dance. But the party gets cut short because someone runs in and he says, it's verdict time, it's verdict time. And then half the room gets up and like rushes to the door. And he's like, Nita, what's going on? He says, who's verdict? It's like, what, Tobias, you've been thinking about Marcus's verdict all day. You also know that he was the last one to be put on trial. So whose verdict do you think it is, bud? And Nita's like, it's Marcus's, no doubt. 
and they know that that's his dad. I don't know why someone hasn't pulled him aside earlier and said, oh, we have access to the footage. Do you want to see your dad's verdict and trial and execution potentially? Anyway, so he sprints down this tunnel and finds the control room where the horde of people are going to watch the verdict. Like this is their reality TV, I'm assuming. They just watch what's going on in that city. Like it's an eviction night and big brother. And this is entertainment for them. They're like, oh, what's the verdict? What's the verdict? And so they're watching the screens. And then he says, someone turns up the volume and then they can hear all their voices. He says, they crackle distorted by the microphones, but I know my father's voice. Okay, so there's microphones. That solves that mystery. So now Tobias is watching his mum put his dad on trial. And there's lots of layers to that. And so Evelyn's saying, you have served this city well for many years. This is not a decision I or any of my advisors have taken lightly. And Tobias is calling bullshit. He's like, oh, Evelyn's playing up for the cameras, for the crowd. She's faking being genuine. She says, I and the former representatives of the factions have had a lot to consider. Your years of service, the loyalty. What are the former representatives of the factions? This is like, what, just Joanna left and Jack Kang from Kanda? Did he die? Because abnegation has been wiped out. Marcus was the leader. So I don't know who she's consulting with there. Janine was the leader of Erudite and she's been killed. The most recent leader of Dauntless, I think was Tori, who has also just died. So when she's saying she's been talking to the former faction leaders, I don't know who the fuck she's been talking to. And Jack Kang could be dead for all I, I remember. So she says, your years of service, the loyalty you have inspired among your faction members, my lingering feelings for you as my former husband. And he cuts in and says, well, I'm still your husband. We're not divorced. The abnegation don't allow divorce. Why? Because divorce is selfish. I think it's selfish to not let someone get divorced. That seems like a, a weirdo rule. And Evelyn says, well, actually they do allow divorce in the case of spousal abuse, which is sort of like a mic drop moment. And Tobias is like, whoa, I never thought she would have admitted that in public, but that must mean she's really going for the jugular. And Tobias is like, yep, that means that they're going to execute him. And so then she lists out like a list of Marcus's crimes. But then she says, given your record of service to the city, we have decided on an alternate solution. You will not, unlike the other former faction representatives, be forgiven and allowed to consult on issues regarding the city, nor will you be executed as a traitor. Instead, you'll be sent outside of the fence beyond where all of the Amity live (laughs) and you will not be allowed to return. And so Tobias is struggling to process that because I feel like he kind of wanted his dad to get killed by his mother, which coincidentally is exactly what happened with Triss's mum. But now he's like, ah shit, he's still gonna be hanging around and he's coming on my side of the fence. So he has a little mini panic attack and he's like, I got to get away from me. He's overwhelmed. So he turns around, he leaves. That's the end of that chapter. So then we go back into Triss's POV and she says that there's an attack drill happening. They're doing a drill. So they're at breakfast when the intercom says there's going to be a drill. An alarm will sound. You've just got to lock yourselves in whatever room you're in when the alarm goes off. And she's at breakfast looking at Tobias and he's picking at a muffin. And she says he's just like absentmindedly picking at it, sometimes eating it, sometimes not. And I'm just glad she's not stealing his muffin like she did last breakfast. So she tries to make small talk with him. And she says, oh, we um, went up in a plane yesterday. Where were you? And he's like, um, I was walking around processing things. And she says, he sounds terse, irritated. And it's like, 
Yeah, I would be too if that's the first thing you got to say to me. When I've one, found out that I'm genetically damaged and two, found out that my dad is coming on this side of the fence. My dad who abused me and ruined my life and I'm still terrified of. And he's like, okay, well, how was the stupid plane ride? And then she starts gushing about how good it was. She's like, it was amazing. The world is so big. Don't know if it's flat or not. Didn't see the cliff where the world ends. Chicago's really small in comparison to the rest of the world. Blah, 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 blah. And he's just like, cool. Well, I wouldn't have enjoyed it because of the heights. You know, I'm afraid of heights. And she gets all butt hurt by that. I don't know what happened to Tris, but it feels like she's a brand new character right now. She's never been this insensitive. She says, I don't know why, but his reaction disappoints me. I want him to say that he wishes he had been there with me to experience it with me, or at least ask me what I mean when I say that it was amazing. But all he can say is that he wouldn't have liked it. And she's all upset because she had this amazing plane experience. Um, get off your fucking high horse. He's going through a lot, doll. And so she just says, are you okay? You, you look like you've barely slept. And he says, well, yesterday carried quite the revelation. You can't blame me for being upset about it. And she says, well, from my perspective, it doesn't seem like there's much to be upset about. Oh, you never say that. That, oh, that's not good. She says, I know it's a shock, but you're still the same person you were yesterday. And he's like, bitch, I'm not talking about my jeans. I'm talking about Marcus. And then he says, you really have no idea, do you? And no, I don't think she does. I think Tris in any other chapter would, but this new Tris, post plane Tris, post journal Tris, she's different. And she's like, oh yeah, of course I knew about Marcus. Everyone's talking about it. But for some reason, I didn't think it would upset him to know that his father wasn't going to be executed. Apparently I was wrong. But you could have also asked how he felt instead of just assuming how he felt. But then the alarm sounds so they have to hole up in their rooms. Well, actually they're all in one big dorm room. So someone just shuts the door, I guess. Pretty much everyone's in there, but she notes that Caleb's not there. She says she doesn't know where Caleb is. She thinks he might be researching whatever made him so distant yesterday. Although I don't think he was distant. He was distracted. He had a look of intellectual interest in his eye, but you were the distant one because you didn't talk to him when he asked you how you were going. And then you left the room so that you wouldn't have to talk or look at him. And now you're calling him distant. I know he's an asshole and he pretty much almost got you killed, but like, come on. So because she's acting so out of pocket and I don't know why she's bringing up that he's being distant, I think maybe Veronica's trying to hint that he's up to something or that he's working with the people at the bureau now. He's doing testing and shit. I don't know. Something's going on with Caleb. So then while the alarm is blaring, there's a drill happening. She thinks now's a good time to get back to the journal. (laughs) So she reads the journal and it's the section where her mum says she's volunteering to go into the city. She said, David said the divergent are dying and someone has to stop it because that's a waste of our best genetic material. So she says, someone has to go in. David said it would just be for a few years. What? If someone's killing the divergent, why are you going to go in there and start a process that takes years? She says, I'm young enough that it will be easy to insert me. Just wipe and resupply a few people's memories and then I'm in. She says, they'll put me in Dauntless at first because I already have tattoos and that would be too hard to explain to the people inside the experiment. And yet I think 
Tris lived with her for like 16 years and never once saw her tattoos, so they can't have been that visible. Because Tris was shocked when she first found out that her mum was born in Dauntless. When her mum came and visited her uh, on visiting day, when Tris was going through initiation, she was like, what, my mum was Dauntless? That's brand new information. So clearly she never got eyes on any tattoos. So either the technology to remove tattoos exists or her tattoos were never visible. So her going to Dauntless wasn't really that necessary. Then her mum wrote down, the only problem is that at my choosing ceremony next year, I'll have to join Erudite because that's where the killer is. And she's worried that she's not smart enough to make it through Erudite initiation. So someone's killing the divergent people. They want to put her into Dauntless, let her simmer there for a year, lie about her age for a year, and then she can go to the Erudite and try and stop it. How many divergent people is this Erudite guy going to kill in a whole year while she's sitting waiting, hiding her tattoos? And so she's worried about not getting into Erudite with her initiation results or whatever. And David says he can alter the results. They can do all this memory wiping. They can alter results. (laughs) Why do we have to jump through all these hoops then? Just implant her. Or if you're that all powerful, just kill the fucking Erudite guy. But then her mum's feeling bad about fudging the test results or fudging the initiation results. She thinks, oh, I know it doesn't matter. But even if the Bureau think the factions don't mean anything, that they're just a kind of behavioral modification that will help with the damage, those people believe they mean something. So it feels wrong to play with their system. I'm more than happy to alter people's minds and memories so that they think I've always been in Dauntless. I'm fine to go in there and lie to them, but I think it's a bit mean if I cheat on a test to get into Erudite. What? Her mum's an idiot. Of course she's never gonna get into Erudite. What an idiot. But then she thinks maybe it will be a fresh start. I could really use one of those. So then we cut to Tris, who's thinking back on that section being like, wow, so many revelations. She's thinking, I don't know what killer she is referring to. Maybe Janine Matthews' predecessor. And it's like, "Uh, well, yeah, that's been confirmed to us. Or was that confirmed in a Tobias POV? Because I swear David said that out loud. This is the problem with the switching POVs. I don't remember who knows what, but I do think Tris knew that Janine Matthews' predecessor was killing Divergent people. Oh no, that was Tobias. Yeah, Amar told Tobias that, so that must be new information for Tris. Fuck this changing POV off. I can't keep track. But then she goes, okay, so that's confusing. But what's even more confusing is why she didn't end up joining Erudite and she joined Abnegation. So she's all confused by that. And she's like, I wonder how I can find out. And it's like, bitch, just keep reading. It's not that hard. So then the alarms stop and she looks over at Tobias and she's like, "Mm, should I talk to him? Should I not? And then she's like, I don't want to talk to him. She says, I'm not sure I want to hear what he has to say right now when we're both on edge. It's like, well, you were the bitch to him this morning, doll. Don't be taking it out on him. You're the one that was insensitive. But instead Tobias is like, can I have a quick kiss? And she's like, sure. So then they kiss. And then she's like, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't think about the whole Marcus thing. I should have. And he's like, whatever. And he's like, you read in the journal, huh? And she's like, yep. And he's like, cool, leave you with that. And then he leaves. So then she's like, all right, well, I'll read more journal entries. And then this one is a letter to David, which is a change in format. So she's like, what? And so it says, dear David, I'm sorry, but it's not going to happen the way we planned it. I can't do it. She's like, this is my life. If I'm going to be here for years, I have to do it this way. 
I'll still be able to do my job from outside of Erudite. So tomorrow at the choosing ceremony, Andrew and I are going to choose abnegation together. And so Andrew, I believe is Triss's dad's name. So Triss is reading that and she's like, oh my God, she's super happy. She's like, my parents did love each other enough to forsake clans and factions. She's like super jazzed by that. She says, it's strange how, even though I should be grieving, I feel like I am actually getting back pieces of her word by word, line by line. And that's the end of the chapter. And I just think it's interesting that Andrew, who I think was born in Erudite, and Natalie, who was inserted into Dauntless, had so much time to have a love affair before they turned 17 or whatever, or 16 at the choosing ceremony, then they decided to go to abnegation together. And it made me remember how in the first few chapters of Divergent, we learned that all of the teenagers, all of the kids go to school together, no matter what faction they're in. So they're all intermingling, enough to have a secret affair. So why, why do the factions matter that much? They're clearly not that segregated, so I don't know how they're working so well to repair genetic damage. I'm more confused than I've ever been, but at least Triss is getting some clarity. So let's leave that there and I'll catch up with you guys next week. For hopefully Triss to just sit down and finish reading. What are you waiting for, Dal? It's not the Noel Diary. Okay, bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.